reading of God's Word, <laughs> or begin to be standing. Uh, the, the sermon text this evening is found in Revelation chapter 2, and we will be reading verses 8 to 11. Revelation 2, verses 8 to 11, and this is God's Word. It's His inerrant Word, His holy Word, His inspired Word, and so tonight we must pay careful attention to what He is saying to us. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich, and the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Please pray with me. Our great God in heaven, the first and the last, the everlasting God. We come before you this evening and we plead your mercies. We pray that you, by the power of your Spirit, would give me the words to say, that they would be faithful in every way to your word, that you would move powerfully through a weak vessel to open up the hearts of your people to receive your word and to receive encouragement and hope from your word, to open up the hearts of those who do not know you who are here this evening, that even now, this very evening, they would come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as you give them a heart of flesh and take away their heart of stone. I pray that you would do the impossible work that I cannot do by the power of your spirit this evening. All for the glory of Christ, and in His name I pray, amen. Please be seated. Death, be not proud, though some have called thee mighty and dreadful, for thou art not so. For those whom thou thinkest thou dost overthrow, die not, poor death. Nor yet can thou kill me. Why swellest thou then? One short sleep past, we wake eternally. And death shall be no more. Death, thou shalt die. Those are the opening and the closing words of John Donne's poem written in 1609. Death, be not proud. I think they capture so wonderfully what we see in our text this evening. If I could paraphrase the words of the Puritan John Owen, the death of death in the resurrection of Christ. The death of death in the resurrection of Christ. We see in all of its glory this evening, our Savior raised from the dead who gives life to His fearful little flock those who are oppressed and weighed down by the troubles of this world, by 
the persecution of this world, and even by the fear of death itself. Jesus speaks a word to us. Our raised, our resurrected Savior, He speaks a word to us of hope this evening. And even though I gave you three points on the outline, I'm actually going to make it a little bit more simple and just give you two. What we really see here can be broken up into these two points this evening. So this is a text about the resurrection hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ who died and who was raised again to defeat death. And we see here, first of all, that we must know our Savior Jesus Christ intimately. We must know the raised Christ or we will be overwhelmed by the afflictions that we face in this life. And number two, we must look to our own resurrection on the last day to find hope in a world full of sorrows. Those are our two points this evening. And I want to begin then in verses 8 and 9. We must know the resurrected Christ or we will have no hope in times of trouble. Now, if you weren't here last week, uh, you, you wouldn't have heard Pastor Stone speaking to us about the pattern that we see in each one of these words to the seven churches. Um, it might sound a little cheesy, but it actually is true. It is an encouragement sandwich. Uh, what John is doing here, and this is, of course, a word from Christ, is he is encouraging the churches, and then he speaks a word to them of sometimes of hard rebuke. But then he closes it with a, another word of encouragement, and it's, it's in the form of a blessing. They need a specific blessing to strengthen them to actually repent and to trust in Christ. So you see that pattern in, in these uh, words to the seven churches. Now, there is uh, one thing that we see in Smyrna that's missing, though. You might have noticed that. There's no rebuke with Smyrna. So Smyrna is one of the churches that proves the rule. Nothing negative is said about the church in Smyrna. There's nothing negative said about the church in Philadelphia. And there is something also that's very important when we get to the church in Sardis and Laodicea. There's nothing positive said about those churches. Nothing positive said. No, uh, no encouragement in that sense. So in Smyrna, this is a church that is following Christ faithfully, but it's also a church that is going through great, intense struggle. It's a church that is beset by many afflictions, and Christ, He comes and He speaks this wonderful word of hope to them. You might also, if you were here last week, remember that Pastor Stone was reminding us that in verse 8, and we see this with each of the letters to the churches, we have to the angel, but that could also be to the messenger, to the pastor perhaps even. If you remember that this is Jesus speaking, then it makes, I would say, along with Pastor Stone, a lot more sense to read it that way, to the messenger of the church in Smyrna. Why would Jesus tell John to write something to an angel. It would make a lot of sense for him to write something to the messenger who's taking this to each of the seven churches. And there's, a, there's such a wonderful encouragement, even in just this, this first verse, when we remember that Jesus is speaking these words. 
It's actually literally not the words of the first and the last, but rather the first and the last who died and came to life says. The first and last who, who died and came to life says. And everything else that we see in this passage is Jesus speaking to the church in Smyrna. It's Jesus speaking then to all of his people, to us here just as much as the church in Smyrna. Jesus speaks these words of comfort, these words of hope, and he begins as each of the, the, the words to the seven churches begins with something about himself that they need to know to get through these times of affliction. Something that we already saw in chapter 1. He says, the word, the, 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 Jesus speaking, the first and the last who died and who came to life. All throughout chapter 1, we had things that reminded us of this reality about Christ. I am the Alpha and the Omega, verse 8. Verse 5, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead. Especially, though, when we get to verse 17 of chapter 1. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I'm alive forever, forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. The saints in Smyrna are going through a lot. You see this in, in verse 9. Their tribulation, their distress, their poverty, their, their physical poverty here, financial poverty, and the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. So they're going through any number of tribulations probably related to these attacks on who they are, these attacks on their character. We have Jews in Smyrna who are saying, we're the real people of God, and you are pretenders. You are wicked. You are blasphemers. They're accusing the saints in Smyrna of any number of horrible things. They're slandering them. And so, John, well, Jesus, through John, tells us that this makes them not the true people of God, not true Israelites, but rather a synagogue of Satan, a gathering of Satan. They have given themselves over to do the will of Satan instead of believing in Jesus Christ. So they're going through a lot, and, and Jesus then speaks this word to them, this word of encouragement, this word of hope. And there is no way for us as God's people, when we face similar trials, and, and maybe some of these sounded like the kinds of things we're seeing today, slander. I mean, are you seeing that in our world? Are we not seeing that all around us? Christians are being slandered simply for adhering to God's word simply for standing firm for all of what God says. You bigot! You believe what the Bible says about a man and a woman marrying and being the only who can marry. You bigot! You believe that a man is a man and cannot become a woman. You bigot! You believe that salvation is found in Christ alone and nowhere else. Slander. Slander against God's people. Everywhere we look. And, and what does that do to us as, as God's people? Well, let's be honest. It, 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 the natural temptation is to shrink back 
in fear when we're slandered like that. Or when tribulation comes our way, to shrink back in fear. Or when poverty comes our way because of faithfulness. Why are they poor? Well, I think given the context, they're poor because they can't just play along with the world. You see that throughout the book of Revelation. Poverty comes to those who are faithful because they won't compromise. Do we not see that around us too? How many people are there out there, maybe even here today, who are fearful about losing their job if they say the wrong thing at work and being thrown into poverty, about being expelled from their school or getting a failing grade in college because they say the wrong thing and their professor hates it. Are you, are you fearful, people of God? Do you find these things making you fearful? Well, Christ, he comes to the saints in Smyrna just as he comes to us, and he reminds them of who he is. There is no way for you to look past that fear and to find encouragement than to come back over and over and over to who the Lord Jesus Christ is. He is the first and the last, the eternal God, eternal Savior, the one who died for the forgiveness of sins, for those who look to Him in faith, for us who are trusting in Him. He died and He came back to life. He is no longer dead. And all of this slander, all of this poverty, all of this tribulation is just for a time. It's just for a time. But we have a risen Savior who speaks to us and who says, I know I know what you're going through. I know your tribulation. I know how hard it is for you. I know that they are speaking these wicked things about you. I know that you have lost your job because you were faithful. I know the tribulation that you were going through. I know my little flock. I know. And I love you. I gave myself for you. That's what Christ speaks to the saints in Smyrna. To truly know Christ is the only way that we will find encouragement when we face these exact same tribulations. We might face increasingly poverty because of our faithfulness to Christ. We might face slander because of our faithfulness to Christ. And yet, we worship and rest in the Savior who was raised from the dead, who is the eternal God. Well, this text doesn't just leave us with the resurrection of Christ, as wonderful as that is, but it also points us, and this is my second point, it points us to our own resurrection. The day is coming when we will experience the fullness of the power of the resurrection of Christ, when we will be raised up with Him. Glorious resurrection body, all things made new, including our bodies. And that's the second point of hope in our text this evening. Our resurrection gives us the grace to turn from fear to faith. Our resurrection gives us the grace to turn away from fear to faith. Jesus is still speaking in verse 10. Do not fear. How often did Jesus say that in the Gospels over and over and over? Don't be afraid. Fear not. He knows. He knows how 
prone to fear we are. We are dust. And he knows. And so Jesus over and over and over says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. My little flock, don't be afraid. Don't fear what you're about to suffer. The saints in Smyrna are going to go through suffering. And Jesus says that for each one of us too. If we love him, if we're going to follow him, we will experience persecution. We will experience suffering in this world. He says, don't be afraid. But Jesus doesn't just say, don't fear. That's not it. You might know the the famous quote from Franklin Roosevelt. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Well, not quite. Close. You know, I think it's a half-truth because fear actually leads us into sin. When we're fearful about losing our livelihood, when we're fearful about losing our house, we think, I have a family to take care of. And I think, I could lose my job by being faithful to Christ. And fear causes us to shrink back, doesn't it? Or fear causes us to shrink back from tribulation. We don't want to go through the suffering. We don't want to experience the trial. And Jesus says, you're going to suffer. He says that to the saints in Smyrna. He says that to us. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Well, this is why it's so important to to know the Old Testament when we read Revelation. Almost every single verse in Revelation is saturated with the Old Testament. Why ten days? Does that ring a bell to anyone? Well, if we were to go back to the prophet Daniel, Daniel chapter 1, Daniel is told to eat all of the the sumptuous fare set before him, the, the, the wonderful foods of the king. The king wants to fatten him up. He's going to learn the wisdom of Babylon. He's going to be fattened up. He's going to be sleek. He's going to be one of them. And what did Daniel and his friends say? when told that they must eat these foods because they know that to eat these foods would be to eat defiled foods, to become defiled, to to violate God's law. And they say, no, we won't eat these foods. Please let us eat vegetables instead. You know what normally happens to someone who speaks that way to the king of Babylon? It's off with his head. You don't speak like that to the king of Babylon. So Daniel knows that, and he, he, he says it anyway, because he trusts in the Lord. He trusts in the Lord who raises the dead. And he has that confidence to speak to the Lord. Now, we don't know, do we? We don't know if things will go for us the way they, go, they went for Daniel. Because in that situation, by God's grace, Daniel was spared. Think about his friends later in the book of Daniel when they are told to bow down and worship an idol. What do they say? They say, we don't know what will happen to us, but we're not going to bow down and worship this idol. God can rescue us. He can deliver us from this fiery furnace, but even if he does not, we will not worship this idol. And they don't. They don't know the outcome. They don't know that they're going to be spared when they say that to the king of Babylon. That's just 
The, the same for each of us. That, that's where this, this language, though, of 10 days comes from. It was 10 days in which Daniel would eat the vegetables, and then at the end of those 10 days, you would see, was he healthy? How would it all turn out for him? That's where the language of 10 days comes from. It, it's, it's language in Revelation to tell us that this is a, a very serious trial, but it's a limited trial. It's not going to go on forever and ever. And Jesus says, be faithful, even unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. There, there is no way for us to face these kinds of trials, to face the slander of the world, to face the tribulation that we, we might have to endure for being faithful to Christ, to face death itself, to face poverty, unless we remember this truth, that if we are faithful, if we cling to Christ in faith, we have set out for us the crown of eternal life. We have the, the joy of the resurrection from the dead to strengthen us and to encourage us to that last day. There is nothing else that will get us there. You, you, you can't say, well, maybe this trial won't be too long. Maybe it won't be so bad. Maybe I will have my job at the end of this trial. Maybe our political leaders will deliver us. You know, maybe things won't be so bad a few months from now. Whatever it is, if that's where your hope is, you have no hope. But if your hope is in the resurrection from the dead, you can stand confidently before every single one of those tribulations. This, this is a brief time that we have on this earth. It might seem like a long time, but it's a vapor. It's a mere breath, and then it's over. And yet, we know that it's not the end. That On that glorious day, we will be raised up from the dead. We will see this Savior who speaks these tender words to us, fear not. And instead of saying fear not to us, He will wipe away every tear from all of those trials that we had to face on this earth. Verse 11, he says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. What does it mean to conquer? Each one of the words to the seven churches in, it says that in some way. To the one who conquers, some blessing will be given to them. To the one who conquers, he will not be hurt by the second death. To conquer is simply to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and to cling to Him whatever comes your way, to believe in Him and to, to hold fast to Him by faith till your dying day. That's what it means to conquer. And even though it is true that we must conquer, we must hold fast to our Savior in faith, if you look at the very end of these seven words in chapter 3, you see that we're, we're simply conquering in the one who has already conquered. The one who conquers, this is chapter 3, verse 21. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Jesus does say to us, this evening. He says to each one of you, be faithful unto death. And he says to you, you must conquer by faith. And yet, that conquering is simply 
resting in the one who has conquered. Jesus has triumphed over sin and over death. And the proof of that is that he was raised from the dead to die no more. He's conquered already our great enemy. He's conquered all of our enemies, Satan and sin and death. And we simply rest in that victory by faith, holding fast to our Savior to the very end. And if we do, if we hold to him in faith, we will not be hurt by the second death. What is the second death? Well, the second death is hell. You see this especially in chapter 20. The second death is hell. For as much as our world might talk about death, and maybe all the more so now because of the virus, death is not the thing that we most should fear if we are outside of Christ. If you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ tonight, death is not the thing to fear. The the, the death of your body is a prelude to what you should fear. The second death, hell, hell itself, eternal judgment under the wrath of God. That is what you have to fear if you are outside of Christ. But if you are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, the second death will not touch you. It has no power over you. It has nothing to say to you because Christ has triumphed over the second death. And if we conquer in Him by faith, resting in Him, we will have victory over that second death too, as we are raised in glorious bodies. For a little while, we will have tribulation in this life. Christ knows, little flock, His little lambs, He knows your tribulation. He knows your tribulation, and what He calls you to this evening is to know Him, to know Him in the power of His resurrection, to to know this glorious Savior raised from the dead, to know the power of His resurrection waiting for us on the last day. And in the meantime, just remember, Jesus knows. He knows the tribulation that you're going through. He knows far more than you do about this. You know, uh, the catechism that we read this evening, the catechism question, I didn't know that was going to be the question. And it's such a, a, a wonderful connection to the text this evening. The devil can be fearful, right? We, we fear maybe what he might do to us. God even allows him here for some of the saints in Smyrna to, th- to throw them into prison. That you may be tested. But it's very important that that is in the passive voice. That you may be tested. Satan is not doing the testing there. God is. And this is not a test, are you going to pass or are you going to fail kind of test. Testing in this sense is the testing we see all throughout the New Testament. It's testing in the sense of purifying. It's testing in the sense of, Peter and James both use this image, of gold, which is purified. That's what it means to test something, is to take the impurities out, to melt the gold, to take the impurities and to skim them off the top so that the gold becomes pure. God is going to allow the saints in Smyrna to be cast into prison by Satan. 
for 10 days so that they may be tested, so that they may be purified, so that they may learn to look away from themselves and to look to Christ who will sustain them, to look to Christ who will give them hope. I was just listening uh, to something with, with my family uh, this last week about St. Patrick. And uh, Patrick was taken into slavery as a child. He had grown up in a Christian family. And he, he was taken into slavery, and he did not know the Lord when he was taken into slavery. And it, that's what it took for Patrick to come to faith in Christ, was to be taken from his family, seemingly lost all hope of ever seeing them again. And in the pit of his despair, he cried out to the Lord Jesus Christ, and Jesus saved him and gave him hope. And then a miracle of all miracles, he went back, he eventually was able to go back to his family and then decided to go back to those who had enslaved him and to preach the gospel to them and to give them hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. When God allows the saint in Smyrna to be cast into prison by Satan himself, God is the one who is testing them to purify them and to grow them in their love for Christ. This is not Satan ultimately having power over them. And the reason I brought up the catechism question is because sometimes we do struggle with God's sovereignty. But think about the alternative and how horrible that would be. You know, we think about evil that happens in the world. We think about being cast into prison, tribulation, being slandered by others, being forced into poverty because we're faithful to Christ and it causes us to fear And then we think Satan has triumphed over us. No, even in that wicked action of Satan in casting God's people into prison, God is sovereign over that. There is no hope for the believer if God is not sovereign over evil. No, God is not the author of evil. No one will point on the last day to God and say, you did this, you you caused this evil thing, you are responsible for wickedness in this world, and yet God is sovereign over every single evil thing that has ever had, and there is no hope for you, brothers and sisters, if he is not, because that means that something else is sovereign over your life, some other force, someone else, but that is just absolutely false. God is sovereign over our lives, even the suffering that we must endure. And that should give us hope. Because God allows this for His ultimate glory and for our good. He allows us to go through these things. He is with us in the midst of going through these trials. Even Satan's wicked attacks are simply uh, directed by God to a greater aim, which is His glory and our good. So Jesus says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. One short sleep passed, and we wake eternally, and death shall be no more. Death, thou shalt die. Please pray with me. Our great God in heaven, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we worship you this evening. We plead with you with the grace to believe all that we have heard this evening. For the grace to repent of our sinful fear and anxiety. For the grace to believe your word that even though we might face 
trials and tribulations and poverty and slander and death itself, the day is coming when we will be raised up in glory. We will see Christ face to face. I pray that you would impress that truth so firmly upon our hearts that we would be able to face all of our difficulties in confidence, even in joy. Do this work which is infinitely beyond the power of our sinful hearts. Do it by your Holy Spirit, I pray. In Christ's holy name. Amen.